it's Monday the 17th of July. I'm Miranda Sawyer and my copy is ready to be subbed. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review, where we slice through the papers like an Alcaraz cross-court forehand. We're here to applaud the aces, enjoy the close calls and call the bad stories out, no matter who served them. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Keir's not for turning. Keir Starmer won't budge from keeping Labour to fiscal prudence. Who's got an ology? Rishi Sunak wants to get rid of rip-off university degrees. And lots of people watch a really long sports game. 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz beats Novak Djokovic in near five-hour Wimbledon final. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Papercuts, where we aim for an exclusive but settle for a splash. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and ready to have an opinion on anything for the usual word rate, it's the new statesman's John Elledge. Hello, John. Hello. Nice to be murdered that cleanly first thing in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And also joining us is comedian and celebrity breakup connoisseur, (laughs) Grania Maguire. Hello, Grania. Hello. So what have we got on the front pages today? What have you got, John? So uh, I bring I bring the joy as usual. <laughs> On today's eye, we've got Conservative Starmer faces backlash over refusal to scrap child benefits cap. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the Guardian has alarm as new heat storm threatens to engulf Europe. Uh, it's also just below that. It's also got Starmer. We will keep two child benefit capped, so we're kind of screwed both in foreign and domestic terms there. Uh, and over in the Telegraph, students are being ripped off. PM warns. Warns. Um, <laughs> I wonder we, by who. Yeah. Um, Gronje, what do you have? So on the Daily Mail, there's a lovely picture of Jane Birkin, a guy kissing a statue that he won. It's a trophy. A trophy. Something mm. went on in Wimbledon this weekend, obviously. But the main story is PM vows to curb rip-off degrees. So that's a Rishi story again, the Daily Mail. Uh, the Mirror has new drug beating Alzheimer's. And the star have an exclusive. Hug a gull. <laughs> Flying scumbags are not the enemy and we should love the chip thieves, say experts. Boffins, presumably. Boffins have told us all to hug a seagull. OK, great. So I feel like, I mean, you've mentioned it a little bit, uh, Gronje, but all the papers have a picture of, I'm going to say his name so you know, Carlos Alcaraz, who okay. beat Djokovic yesterday in a tennis match. Okay. All right? I'm, I'm aware that you two... Really don't care, but some of us do care. So is tennis the one with the kicking? <laughs> tennis is one of the smaller ball and the big bats. No? That's cricket. I know that one. Oh, well, bigger bats, kind of roundabouts. Anyway, look, Wimbledon, I just want to say it's the ideal sport for the Tory broadsheets. And in, I mean, in the, uh, the mail, they've got like two massive double page spreads because it's, it's a small environment and the royal family are there, plus people like mm-hmm. Brad Pitt and Daniel Craig and Ariana Grande. Are you still not interested? Gloria? I do like the pictures of the celebrities. <laughs> And I'm impressed by how, like, fresh they all look. Because consider how clammy and hot, you know, London was at the weekend. Seeing pictures of, like, Rachel Weisz looking really chic in sunglasses, I will never complain about. And lovely little pictures of Kate Middleton in a nice dress. I mean, joyous. Joyous, but otherwise you're not going to bother, are you? I mean, it's more like a fashion event that people play tennis in front of. (laughs) 
Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not a, an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Now, on the front page of The Eye and also in The Guardian, there's a story that comes out of Labour leader Keir Starmer's interview with BBC political editor Laura Kunzberg on her Sunday TV show. So she asked Starmer about the two-child benefit cap, which is a Tory policy, you know, it's actually happening now. And he said he wouldn't scrap it and he also wouldn't commit to greater spending on public services and the NHS if he gets into number 10 all a little bit depressing. And anyway, as we're talking Labour, The Observer had an interesting interview with uh, Labour's deputy leader, Angela Rayner, where in contrast to Starmer, she talked about getting children out of poverty and making sure that people have security in work. Right. OK, John, we're going to you. Why is this Keir Starmer story controversial? So the child benefit cap is absolutely horrible. It's been roundly condemned by absolutely everyone. Uh, 50 organisations have called for it to be abolished, including the TUC, the Joseph Roundtree Foundation, the Children's Society and the Church of England. So it's not it's not a popular policy. Uh, a chap called Professor Jonathan Bradshaw called it the worst ever social security policy, uh, not ruling out the poor law amendment of 1834. So, like, it's it's pretty bad. It's it's pushed loads of families into poverty because, like, it turns out that you know people do not make their procreation decisions based on the welfare system. Yeah. So exactly. So basically, you can only get you know once you've had more than two children, there's no there's no more benefits for you. And it's and some families have kind of lost three three thousand pounds a year because of this. Po- in 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 some in some of Britain's poorest constituencies, it affects a quarter of families. It's, it's you know it's taking thousands of pounds from people, and you know this is and we are punishing you know even if you think it was going to be an effective policy, which as noted it isn't, you are punishing children for the decisions of their parents, and these kids are growing up in poverty, so everyone hates it. Except Keir Starmer. Except Keir Starmer, who has... So there's a number of possible interpretations of what's going on here. One of them, the one that his team seems to be pushing, is that they just, they don't want to make any promises they can't keep. Um... Some might argue that this would be a promise it would definitely be worth keeping because for 1.3 billion a year, which is a lot, mm. but in public spending terms, not that much, you'd take 250,000 children out of poverty and another 850,000 would be in less deep poverty. That feels like a pretty good return on investment to me. Uh, but but the, the Labour are so worried about the state of the public finances that they do not want to make any commitments right now. Another possibility, which is, um, let, let's say, favoured by by the Twitter left, uh, is that Keir Starmer is a horrible Tory. But he isn't really. I mean, that's just kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm aware I'm, that we, we that he's kind of centrist, but he isn't a Tory. I, he, no, he's he's not a Tory. I think I think there is an. I, I think there is a case that it's a sort of uh, what's the opposite of virtue signalling, sort of vice signalling. <laughs> Uh, because, because you know, there are there there are, there are these swing voters uh, who are generally sort of older homeowners in like the red wall seats and so on, who who don't like welfare spending on other people very much, and this could be a way of kind of communicating to them, no, it's all right, you can trust Labour. Okay, this which is which is what he seems it could to be, be a political to be strategy. Exactly. Okay, so the, the, my question is, why have the I and the Guardian got this story on the front page? Meaning. 
that they're the Labour supporting papers, if any, aren't they? So why are they led with it? I mean, you are talking to a new statesman alumnus here. The idea of Labour supporting uh, media is is <laughs> something that's often been questioned. Um, the the, the left wing media doesn't rally round in the way the right wing media does. It never has. The left has always been more fractious. There's always been more internal criticism. The Guardian has in the past backed the Lib Dems and various times. So it's it's it, it's not a given that 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 papers that are not of the right are automatically going to back the Labour leader on everything, uh, which is one of the many reasons why it's harder to be the Labour leader than it is to be the Conservative leader. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So there was a there was a I think we should talk about Angela Rayner. There was a really lovely interview with her done by Sean O'Hagan in The Observer. And in, in this like incredibly lively, engaging interview. She was and great. The, con- the contrast between her and kind of Rachel Reeves, which was that who was interviewed the week before, is just astonishing. She was really lively, she was really interesting. And in in this uh, article, the writer, Sean O'Hagan, tried to get her to kind of slag off Keir Starmer, really, and kind of slag off all the stuff that you've just said, his policies and his approach. But she she didn't, did she? No. I mean, there is a template for this relationship, which she, she I think Rayner herself has referenced, which is like this, the Tony Blair-John Prescott relationship. Yeah, she calls herself John Prescott in a dress, doesn't she? Yeah, which, which is, there's, there's a mental image for everyone on a Monday. <laughs> Um, but yeah, like the idea, and this is again, it could be a sort of quite a clever political strategy to to have you know a deputy leader who can be more of an outrider for for more kind of traditional Labour ideas, while the leader himself kind of looks fairly sort of staid and 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 boring. The other thing I found interesting about the Guardian interview though was that at one point there was talk of whether or not she could be removed as deputy leader, yeah, which is not possible under the Labour Party's constitution. She won an election to that role. It is not in Starmer's gift to he can remove everything else from her. All but, the other bits that she Yeah, does. all yeah. her policy briefs. But so far as I understand it, she is deputy leader until the party decides otherwise. Oh, okay. Great. I want her to stay. I mean, the, the thing that I thought was really good about that interview is she basically outlined how new Labour policies changed her life. So she came from a really, really poor background um, and, uh, you know, her dad left, her mum had mental health problems, she only had one bath a week at her granny's, you know, she was um, a a mother at 16. I mean, it was a tough life. And she outlined how new Labour policies changed her life, that tax credits got her back into work, Sure Start helped her when she was a young mum, free school meals meant she got a hot meal a day, open university courses. So she's like a kind of living advert, I think, for Labour policies that worked. Yeah, like I mean, she is kind of a living example of like what a Labour government can do for people, right? What I find so confusing is the difference between Keir and Angela is that Keir seems allergic to any sort of like optimism or hope. <laughs> you know, it seems like he should give all his statements like with a cigarette in one mouth, going, oh, what, you think things can be better? Grow up. <laughs> Grow up. We've got no money, babes. It's all like so like, yeah, yeah, life's tough. Like, and I feel like with Angela, like as an idiot, as an outsider who doesn't know about the intricacies, uh, labour policies and stuff like that. It just feels like Angela Rayner, it's just like optimism and hope. And she seems like so warm and she seems normal and she's got fabulous hair and great legs. Good shoes. Oh, and she, what I love also about her, she's so canny. Like, like you said, gear can't get rid of her. She is there and she's so she's so smart and she seems hard as nails in the best possible way. Yeah. 
So I just love her. Yeah, me too. And you kind of, you know, I mean, I'm absolutely uh, sorry. I mean, I'm, perhaps I should be interested. I really, I'm not interested in PMQs. I don't care about mm. them at all. But whenever she's there, I think, oh, great, yeah. we're going to have a bit of a laugh. Yeah. She's going to come out with a few quips. <laughs> she's going to lean forward and really go for them. She's like, she's a proper kind of scrapper. And I really admire that. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like a shtick. It feels like very authentic. Like yeah. she's a normal person. Yes, exactly. She's our fave. Yeah. Shall we talk quickly about a story in The Times that slightly sneaked under the radar? This is about Conservative MP Andrew Rossendale, who's the MP for Romford. He hasn't attended Parliament for a year because... Um, and I'm sure you didn't know this, Grania, and neither did I, but he was arrested for sexual offences in May 2020 and he agreed not to attend Parliament while the police inquiries go on. And they go on, they really are going on, they're taking ages. But none of this has been reported in the papers and this is because of the uh, privacy laws which have got very, very tight. It's it's one of the reasons why the Hugh Edwards story, they didn't name Hugh Edwards for a really uh, long time because of privacy laws, right? Okay. Perhaps we understand this personally. I think it, I don't. But, you know, the papers have been very uh, held back by these privacy laws. But because they haven't been reporting it, his constituents don't know that they're under investigation. The general public don't know that he's under investigation for these um, sexual offences. And then he was up for reselection uh, by for Romford. And the Tory party's members voted him in, of course, because they didn't know that he uh, there was anything wrong. It seems really... Weird. It does feel like we've overshot, doesn't it? So it's worth saying that the reason it's in the Times today is that now he's been reselected and is standing to be an MP again. Uh, there is a public interest defence made that, you know, the public have a right to know this at this point in a way they did not before, which is kind of a curious quirk of the law. Um, my mum actually lives in Romford. I'm, I'm, I'm staying there rather a lot at the moment because of the mess of my, my personal life. Um, it'll be interesting to see if it's 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 one of those outer London seats where, where, where the demographic have visibly changed so it'll be, it's, it's, it's always been like traditionally quite Tory it'll be interesting to see if it flips at all but this could be the sort of thing that could push it over the line I think and can the constituents now they have this information can they sort of recall him for reselection or is that just it I mean that would be an, it, it, the, the, the Conservative Party as far as I understand it doesn't really have a rule book it just does what 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 people what the members want it to to a large extent what the leadership wants it to if it's going to be a problem for them I would imagine there'll be a tap on the shoulder and they'll get someone else. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll have to just follow it in the Times. OK, so, Grania, you've got something fascinating in the Telegraph. Um, so I've got quite an inspirational story. Yeah, great. Let's you know, you think, oh, to be a criminal, you have to be really smart, well-dressed. No, you don't. Anybody can be a criminal nowadays. <laughs> uh, police reveal crooks who really are as thick as thieves. <laughs> so these are some of the doziest criminals i.e. what I would probably do if I tried to uh, commit crime. Uh, among those were uh, a woman who Googled, can you get away with a hit and run? <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder why. <laughs> do you think she was like, maybe put, uh, at least put your browsing to like private. Yes, like, exactly. If you're going to, you might as well. Uh, a sex offender who put his mobile number on letters to his victims. <laughs> I think it was quite romantic. <laughs> call me, call me. It's like hey. he just forgot to change his email signature. <laughs> it's nothing if not optimistic. And a burglar who forgot he was wearing an electronic tag when he was asked by a gang of thieves to join a break-in. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, the thing that's really nice about these is that kind of in a world of 
political madness and kind of world mm. heating and war, that the papers still seek these stories out. They're like a kind of comfort blanket, aren't they? Well, because sometimes you think, you know, crime has probably got very corporate, <laughs> you know, and it's nice to think that these people just giving it a go, craftsmen who maybe aren't <laughs> <laughs> the top level yet, but you know, you have to make these mistakes and, th- and then you get better. And uh, There is also a man who left a woolly hat at the scene of a crime and uh, obviously his DNA um, got got him in a little bit of trouble. Oh, I love it. It's a, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's an excellent and warm-hearted story <laughs> from The Telegraph. Let's um, let's look at some headlines then. We've got some good headlines today. What have you got? Um, Grania, do you want to have a go? Um, in the sun, it's a story about the price of baked goods being a impacted by inflation along with everything else and the headline is Mr Kipling prices tripling very good I feel like a song I mean on <laughs> um, what else do you have uh, then in the Daily Mirror a very inspirational story of a sausage dog which plunged <laughs> 36 metres off cliff and was rescued thanks to a, a local person with a drone and it was called Give a Dog a Drone. That's really good. I really like that. That's excellent. And what do you have, John? Uh, sticking with sausages, as it happens. Uh, apparently, the uh, the, the um, manufacturers are cutting back on, on pork meat in pork sausages and instead stuffing them with fillers such as water and rusk. Uh, one one uh, one commentator predicted the demise of a British favourite. Insect protein sausage is coming for sure, apparently. Anyway, the headline is bangers and trash. Yeah. <laughs> that is obviously, as you'll know by now, in the Star. Also in the Star, uh, there's a, uh, a write-up of a survey by uh, the insurance firm Aviva about the various causes of uh, insurance claims, uh, which include freak waves, knocking glasses off heads and sweeping rucksacks out to sea. The headline on that is, Help a Fish Ate My Ring. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, because we love headlines, we must give everybody the results for last week's Fix the Headline, where we gave you a great story with a slightly rubbish headline. The story we gave listeners was from the eye about a sea otter who keeps stealing surfboards from Californian surfers. The eye gave us the entirely lame surfboard stolen by otter. I mean, really? That is just terrible. We knew you could do better. So here are some excellent efforts. Right. Al Camilla Mollis sent in Otter Madness on the High Seas. Lovely work. This one I can't pronounce at all, so I'm just going to spell it out. MPDA Lway gave us Water Cheek. Very good. (laughs) And Adri van der Luchem, the excellent Grand Theft Otter. I love that one. That's really good. It's not the one. We've got others. Oh my God. Matthew Griffiths uh, offered a different take with Swipe Out. Nice. (laughs) And uh, there's a couple of Rotter Otters. So Chas Brickland gave us Rotter Otter Makes Surfers Suffer. And Chris Hind, the really lovely Rotter Otter Water Twocker. Which I think would make a brilliant kid series. But the winner, tweeted by Dave Martin, is Taka the Rotter. <laughs> Paul O'Neill also offered this on threads, but Dave sent it in just a bit earlier. So we'll be in touch soon, Dave, to send you an amazing and exclusive Paper Cuts t-shirt. Whoop! Can we get a whoop for the t-shirt? Whoop! whoop and Dave, hooray! Don't forget, we want you this week to give us your amazing headlines. Check our social media for the hashtag fix the headline and we'll put up another great story with a terrible headline. If you tweet or you threads as a better one, you could win a Paper Cuts t-shirt. Yahoo, it's so exclusive that we haven't got one yet. So have a go. Now, 
both the Mail and the Telegraph have university degrees as their main front page story with PM vows to curb rip-off degrees and students are being ripped off PM warned. So what this is from is Sunak has written an article in the Telegraph claiming that too many students are sold a, quote, false dream of university because their courses are also, quote, low quality and don't offer the skills they need to get a decent job at the end of it. Apparently, the Institute of Fiscal Studies says that one in five graduates would be better off financially if they had not gone to university. I mean, you know, you can say all of them would be better off financially (laughs) if they hadn't gone to university. But anyway, we'll move past that. John, before we have a look at this, what kind of institution is the Institute of Fiscal Studies? Oh, it's all right, I think. It's uh, it's reasonably, reasonably reputable. The word institute is what's called a protected word, which means you can't just go around calling yourself an institute in this country. You actually need some kind of like official license, which I don't really understand. Um, but it's 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 one of the it's a sort of academic research body. It's kind of like one of the good kinds of think tank rather than one of the sort of weird things with iffy funding that kind of like says, why don't we privatise children or whatever it is? It's it's if they're saying something we can trust, it's pretty much true. OK, so in his article, um, which so- is, by the way, at the bottom of page four of The Telegraph, <laughs> they've got <laughs> they've not- got a piece by the actual prime minister and it's so boring. They've just <laughs> dumped it in the slot where no one's going to see it. <laughs> Okay, it is pretty boring, isn't it, really? I mean, in his article, basically, he's arguing that young people are being saddled with tens of thousands of pounds of debts from degrees that just leave them poorer. We know this, but he's saying it's bad degrees that leave them poorer. Um, What is his solution to this? So his solution to this is uh, is one that's suspiciously familiar to anyone who's ever looked at the British educational system, which is uh, that we should uh, invest more in vocational courses and apprenticeships. Uh, and Sunak says that you know, it's, it's, people should have more respect for the vocational route. And the problem is this has been a repeated plank of education policy for nearly 80 years. After the war, when we had grammar schools and they created secondary moderns, there was meant to be a third type of school, which was the technical colleges. And it basically never happened because the middle classes didn't want them. Oh, and right. there wasn't a level of enthusiasm for sending anyone's, you, you know, little Tarquin to, to go off and learn to become a plumber or something. So, like, that's the kind of tripartite uh, secondary education system we have in countries like Germany. We don't have it here because fundamentally we do not as a society um, respect vocational education. So it's a thing that, that repeated governments have repeatedly promised to do. And it's never, ever happened because you can't just change social attitudes that easily. Sunak basically wants to direct people away from um, what the papers like to call Mickey Mouse degrees towards useful vocational qualifications. The problem being we do not currently have those qualifications. Ah, OK. And also there's another bit as well where he's kind of saying that there are, there are rip-off degrees and what they're gonna, how they're going to define these rip-off degrees is that they're bringing the university's watchdog and they're going to take f- future salaries into account when they're judging if a course is failing. So basically, if you do a course and then, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how far they'll do it ahead because if you do a, 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 a some kind of university degree and then they ask you a year on how much are you earning, most, most university uh, graduates aren't earning very much. So I don't really understand how they're going to do oh, so this. how is this the university's fault yeah <laughs> if, if there are a lot of bad jobs with, with 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 poverty wages out there how is that the fault of the higher education institutions rather than the economy and the government that's presided over it yeah. is the whole debate massively annoys me because we they have somehow managed to create a tuition fee system which works for nobody it loads graduates up with debt. The institutions still don't have enough money to actually do what they want, which is why, they, why universities still drag in so many foreign students because they can charge them top-up fees. 
and the taxpayer is out of pocket as well. I, it's, it's just absolutely incredible to me that they managed to create a system so bad that there are only losers from it. Yeah, and then and now they're going to solve it, so it's going to be fine. It just seems so cynical. It just seems, I mean, again, maybe I've completely misread it, but the subtext seems to be working class people don't bother getting degrees and, you know, the arts or humanities. Like, get a trade. Come on, be sensible. Get a trade. And it's just really offensive. Mm. It's really patronising. And um, it just feels like it's it's the opposite of like a, what a progressive society should be you know, its values should be based around. I, yeah. I, I don't know if this is still true, but when I was an education journalist a few years ago, the degree course, the individual degree course w- whose graduates had the highest earning potential was classics at Oxford. Mm. <laughs> now, you don't need to think very hard to see that is not because like being able to speak Latin and Greek <laughs> is going to qualify you for... It's because the kind of people who go off and do classics at Oxford are then very likely to become investment bankers. Yeah. This, to me, suggests that there are other things going on in the system that mean it is not necessarily fair to either deprive working class kids of degrees or tell the universities providing those degrees that the economy is their fault. What about the down page stuff that makes the papers perkier? John, what's caught your eye? So I've got a, a joyous story here in the mail, uh, which is uh, eco-vandals targeted the £240 million super yacht of a US billionaire in Ibiza yesterday using fire extinguishers to coat it in red and black paint. Um, now, this is obviously, a, you know, seeing bad things happen to rich people is obviously a joyous thing in itself. <laughs> um, but the reason I, I like it is just because even the mail has not tried to make this a tragic story of people being mean <laughs> to billionaires. Like it's called them vandals, but it's basically an excuse to run a big picture of some protesters holding up a banner reading, you consume, others suffer. And you know, even even the mayor was laughing at the billionaire here. And, I, that, and that's heartwarming to me. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that, do you remember that there's a few people going around and telling everyone that you have to be careful because they will, eventually the working classes will rise up. There are too many billionaires. And they, they're, they're kind of going around talking to rich people saying, you've really got to start giving some of your money away because people are starting to notice that you're really, really well off. Perhaps this is the start and the mail is starting (laughs) Also, we don't know for certain that the eco-vandals aren't in league with the orcas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're going to be flipping that that yacht any minute. Okay, Gronya, you've got um, one from the sun, right? Uh, So it's a a breakthrough in in science. It's uh, silk spun by spiders is being used to help impotence in men's sex lives with the amazing headline, We've got cure for that. Erectophobia. That is kind of amazing. I feel like we should like, have a look at this story. So ha- what's happening? Well, am I the only one feeling uncomfortable here? <laughs> <laughs> what I think is cruel is to literally use cobwebs to deal with men who are struggling with impotence. Feels a bit on the nose, I think. <laughs> a bit cruel. Um, so the silk spun by spiders is going to be used as a implant in the genitals of gentlemen unable to get aroused through traditional methods. How did they find out that this was a good <laughs> idea? I mean, who thought this up? It sounds like they were just drunk watching Spider-Man and thought, you know what we'll do? We'll get some webs and we'll shove it inside blokes' genitals. That's bound to work. Do you know that you know they keep rebooting Spider-Man? And you're like, oh, who's going to be the next Spider-Man? Do you think it's just entered so much? Even scientists are going, going oh, hang on a sec. I think that's uh, what's happened. Uh, researchers extracted gossamer strands from the golden silk orb weaver spider 
and six men in their 50s then had them attached to both ends of a severed nerve. Oi! <laughs> There's something really pervy about this. But I just, I'm worried whether... We're all worried. Go, go with me on this. If you have a cobweb in your genitals, is it more likely to get stuck in your fly? Oh, very good. I like it. And then it's also the story, because it's a proper science story, is illustrated by a spider saying, that's not my eighth leg. (laughs) (laughs) That is very good. Well done, the sun. I'm very happy with that one. All right. And there's another story in the sun, I think, uh, Gronyu. Should we have a quick look at that? Okay, well, it's time for us to have a a, a new look at a historic figure because it turns out Jack the Ripper, who we thought we thought he was a bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shame on you uh, for judging him. Turns out, according to the latest academic work, was a one armed alcoholic who struggled with mental health issues. Uh, So my sympathy should be shifting away from the murdered women. (laughs) Listen. Listen, if he was alive today, he'd be getting a Pride of Britain award. (laughs) What he managed to do, what he managed to do, the things he managed to overcome, he would be the fourth host of The Last Leg. (laughs) He would have a whole broadcasting career. So yeah, turned out um, his stiff arm and shuffling walk caused by an injury which stopped him extending his legs matched witnesses' descriptions. So... um, yeah, but poor baby. Listen. Okay, I just want to point out that there's a little, um, just a little thing in the in the star in the letters page, which I've really enjoyed, and it's a it's a letter, it's a plea from a reader, and it says, uh, "May we have a picture, please, of the actress Janelle Monae? It would be much appreciated by your readers, <laughs> Cornish reader." And then they've got an absolutely gorgeous picture of Janelle with not very many clothes on, <laughs> you know, just to satisfy the readers. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John. Thank you very much. And thanks to Gronje. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and send a link to three of your news and jokes loving friends. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. The links are in the show notes. Don't forget, fix the headline. Follow our Twitter and threads for this week's story with a rubbish headline that you can improve and you might win a fabulous exclusive because we haven't got one yet. (laughs) T-shirt! I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when a Telegraph reader wrote in to ask why sausages are cylindrical. (laughs) (laughs) It makes them very difficult to cook, they said. This is a plea to make them cuboid. Love the cuboid. See you next time. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with John Ellidge and Gronya Maguire. The group editor was Andrew Harrison, managing editor of news, Jacob Jarvis, show and production edit by Sophie Black and executive producer, Martin Boytosh. <laughs>